0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome out to River Ridge. Those that are here, those that are joining us online, thank you for giving us a little bit of time as we dive into God's word together. Um, This morning, we are actually finishing up, wrapping up this series called We Are the Church, this journey that we've been on the last six or seven weeks as we have gone through the book of Acts. This is the historical account that Luke gives us of how the early church got started and how it got its feet beneath us and started expanding uh, in the early Roman empire. And what we've been doing through this, this entire series is looking at some of the themes, some of the characteristics of, of how that early church was shaped and formed, and then looking at how it is that we can apply some of those same attributes to our day and age now. Well, uh, if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can turn to Acts 28. We will get there in just a few minutes, but to get everybody caught up to speed on where we are in the story of Acts, I wanna give us a quick synopsis, kind of a 30,000 foot view of the entire book of Acts. So after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples and he gathers them together and he gives them these final instructions in Acts 1.8. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These concentric circles as the gospel continues to move out based on these early disciples witness. And from the very beginning, The church was launched, uh, not as a building, not as an institution, but it was a movement of people with a mission to be witnesses, to tell others about this resurrected Jesus and the hope that's found in him. And these early disciples, about 120 of them that started out that Jesus appeared to, and they immediately go into the streets of Jerusalem. and They start telling people, God has done something amazing in our midst, right over there, right over those very walls, there was this man, Jesus, that was crucified. And just around the corner in a tomb, he rose from the dead and we have seen him. And within a few weeks, thousands of Jewish people in in this very city where these events took place, began to believe and they embraced this idea that Jesus was who he said he was, that the resurrection proved that he was the son of God, and that he is and was the savior of the world. Well, you can imagine how this set, it, set in with the, uh, those early Jewish leaders. It caused quite a stir among them because they were a part of killing this man, Jesus. And so they began to persecute these early followers. And the number one enemy of that early church was this guy named Saul of Tarsus. And, and Saul, sometimes referred to as Paul, He organizes this inquisition of of sorts, and he sets out and he hunts down these early Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem to be imprisoned or killed. But in the middle of one of his journeys, in the middle of his story, Jesus appears to him, and he became a believer and a follower of this man, Jesus. And Saul or Paul goes from being the number one enemy to being the number one spokesman for this early church. And he sets out over this 10 year period of spreading this good news. He began to travel outside of Jerusalem and he goes to all these areas throughout the Mediterranean world and the Roman empire. And now there began to be all of these different nationalities that would hear this good news. And they began to embrace Jesus as their savior. And while he was in these small towns and large cities, he began to organize these gatherings, these churches all around the Mediterranean Sea. But back in Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders still hated Paul. And one time he makes his way back to Jerusalem to to celebrate Passover. And some of the Jewish authorities recognize him and they fabricate this story and they tell the Roman authorities that Paul had come back to Jerusalem to start this political revolt, which, which was a lie. And even though when he, goes, when he goes before the Roman court, and even though they recognize that they have no basis for the charges, that he was in fact innocent of these charges, the Roman authorities didn't know what to do with him. So they left him in jail for two years. And Paul eventually, because he is a Roman citizen, he eventually appeals his case to be heard by Caesar himself in Rome. So he makes his way from Jerusalem to Rome. After uh, surviving a shipwreck, we pick up in the very last chapter of Acts, in Acts 28. And now here's Paul, he's under house arrest and he is chained to a Roman guard and he's awaiting trial. So what does Paul do? What does Paul do after he has been persecuted and imprisoned for two years based on the accusations of the Jewish leaders? He does what he always does. He immediately calls out to the Jewish leaders in Rome and sets up a meeting with them. He invites them into his home to hear the good news of Jesus. We'll pick up the story in verse 23. It says, they, the the Jewish leaders, arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about to the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And I, I love the consistency of Paul and how he approached his life's mission. He never wavered from the mission that God had given him, that, that God had given him. And I think there, there are a couple of observations that we can take from Paul's life and begin to apply them in our lives. The first is this: that Paul remained faithful. He, he never deviated from the path and the plan and the mission that God had for him. And he never gave up on trying to reach his people, the Jewish people, even to the very end of his life. No matter the persecution that he suffered, the, the stonings, the jailings that he endured at the hands of these Jewish leaders, he continued to have a heart for them. He continued to have a genuine love for this people. I mean, it would have been so easy for him just to, just to throw his hands up in the air and to give up on them after all that they had done for him and just walk away. But his love was not based on their actions. Paul's love for the Jewish people was based on God's love for them. And that's what drove his determination. That's what drove his passion and his perseverance. He met them right where they were, right in their doubts. and said that he spent from morning till evening trying to persuade them, that he met them right where their questions were and tried to convince them about who Jesus was and that he was the answer that they were looking for. The second thing that I observed about Paul's life is Paul handed the gospel to the next generation of believers. He remained faithful to the very end on this mission that God had given him. He lived out Acts 1:8. It says in those verses that Paul witnessed to them, that, that he lived his life in front of them, that he witnessed to the people around him about the grace and the hope that he found in Jesus. Paul felt this, this deep obligation to hand the gospel baton off to the next generation of believers, to the next person that was in front of him. He shared his life, he shared his testament, he shared how, how Jesus had changed him and transformed him, and then he left the results to God. And in verse 24, it said that while some didn't believe, there were some who were convinced. There were some who gave their life to Jesus and began to follow him. The point of his life was to ensure that whenever he had the opportunity, that he was going to do all that he could to hand off that faith baton, that gospel baton to the next person. And then notice how the book ends. It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, the end. And that is how the book ends. From from a story writing standpoint, that's a terrible way to end this book. I mean, humanly speaking, Paul is the hero of this story. For 20 chapters, Luke has allowed us to follow this man, Paul. And for the last seven chapters of this book, there's been this huge buildup from Jerusalem to Rome and this upcoming trial before Caesar, who we now know is this insane guy named Nero. And yet Luke leaves us hanging on what happens next to Paul. It doesn't tell us anything. We know from, from early church tradition that Paul was eventually released from his Roman prison and that he probably went on to Spain and established some churches there and he was later rearrested and he was beheaded by Nero. So why wouldn't Luke fill us in on that? He just left this cliffhanger. I think it's because the book of Acts is not a story about Paul and his plans. The book of Acts is a story about the Holy Spirit and the gospel message. The real hero of the book of Acts is not Paul. It's, It's the Holy Spirit as he moves and as he empowers ordinary men and women to move out and to spread the good news of Jesus. I think the reason why we don't have this nice, tidy ending to the book of Acts is because the story didn't end with Paul. That the same spirit that empowered Paul has continued to empower and to move people in every generation, because there's always been a group of people who have understood that the hope and the forgiveness that is found in Jesus is for everyone. And in every generation, they made sure that it was handed off to the next generation in such a way that it could be handed off to generation after generation after generation. And that brings us to today. And this morning, around the world, there are billions of people who are gathering in the name of Jesus because of the faithfulness, because of the determination and because of the love of a previous generation. Remember that map that I showed you about how Paul scattered himself and established all of these churches around the Mediterranean. you may not know this, but we have a similar map for our story. Um, Our story as a church has its roots in 1985 when a young pastor was sent from a church in Columbus to, to start some Bible studies in Morgantown. And over time, those Bible studies formed into a church family called Chestnut Ridge. And the Spirit birthed this idea in the leaders of that church about what it would look like to reach the entire state with the gospel. And out of... Chestnut Ridge launched Southridge Church in Fairmont, and then later a a second campus out of that in in Bridgeport. And then 2002, Chestnut Ridge sent out a pastor to Charleston to establish River Ridge. And then in 2008, about 70 of us uh, were sent out of our Charleston campus to start a new campus here in Taze Valley. And it's all because we were convinced that there were people in our lives our neighbors, our coworkers, the ones that we're sitting on the sidelines with that need to hear about Jesus. And now we have this network of healthy, thriving churches that are spread throughout this great state of ours. And so now we're forced to ask this question, what do we do with this opportunity? Now it's our turn. We've been handed this faith baton to, to run this leg of ours. It has been handed down from generation to generation for us to be able to do something with it. Now we have a choice to make. One option would be to say, you know what? We've arrived. We're big enough, we're large enough, we're doing all kinds of great things here and in the community. I look around at what God has done in our midst these last 13 years and it blows my mind. I mean, what we are experiencing here was not on anybody's radar. This was not a part of a, a five-year or a 10-year strategic plan. We're not that good. What we are experiencing is a work of God in our midst that we can't explain, and we believe that he's not done. That the gospel baton has been given to us from Columbus to Morgantown to Charleston to Taze Valley, and it can't stop with us. So these five Ridge churches throughout the state are actively talking and dreaming and praying about how we partner with the spirit of God to continue what he has started in our midst so that we can reach the next generation of teenagers, so that we can reach the next generation of singles, next generation of couples who are disconnected from God. And we feel like the spirit has done an incredible thing um, in our midst. And we have this unique opportunity now, we're uniquely positioned throughout the state to begin to plant churches, to reach unreached parts of our state. And we don't know yet what that will look like, but but we know that we have to leverage uh, the resources and the talents in a way that remains faithful to God's mission. And that allows us to hand off the gospel to the next person. So we're not gonna rest. We're not gonna circle the wagon. We're not just gonna coast. We're gonna do our best to run our leg of this relay. And what that means is we're gonna keep training up. We're gonna keep raising up leaders and equipping them. We're gonna continue to, to pour into the hearts of teenagers so that when they leave here, their faith extends beyond just their college years and that they become the next generation of church leaders. We're gonna keep investing in marriages. And we're gonna continue to love and to serve our communities because? because we believe that everybody spends forever somewhere. And we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And we believe that each of us has a role to play in fulfilling God's mission to reach our communities, our region, and our world for him. One of the attributes that marked these early believers was their boldness. As you read through the book of Acts over and over again, you, talk, you hear them praying that God would give them the boldness to, to speak his word. And even the last sentence in the book says that Paul proclaimed the, king, the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So there's still work to be done. The ball is now in our court. The baton has now been handed off to each of us. And we are a part of this next chapter in this saga that the Holy Spirit is continuing to write in our day. So here's what we need to do. I think that we need to be bold in three areas. The first is that we need to be bold in our invitations. We need to be bold in our invitations to the people around us. Each of us probably have some folks in our lives that that come to mind that we have wanted to invite to be a part of what God is doing here. And for whatever reason, fear or whatever, we have failed to do that. And it's time for us to ramp up our boldness. Now I'll tell you why, it's not just so that we can get bigger, it's because if we quit inviting, if we just become a gathering of, of churched people, then we will slowly but surely move our attention inward. And it'll be all about our comfort. It'll be all about our preferences. And we will become insider focused and we will drift off mission that God has given us. And you know what? You need this too. Because it it will build your faith. It will strengthen your faith. It will stretch your faith. When we are living our lives purposefully on mission for what God wants to do, we begin to see the world differently. We begin to to see people differently. We begin to understand and to recognize that God has planted us where we are in this day and age for a reason. He has put people in our lives so that we can live Christ in front of them. God has placed your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, your sports team families that you do life with every weekend for a reason. And we are to walk through life with this posture in our heart that says that I will live and I will love in such a way that they will know that I am for them. So that perhaps eventually they'll come to know that Jesus is for them as well from the very beginning. The outreach strategy of River Ridge Church has been invest and invite, invest and invite. Invest in the lives of the people that you work with, that you golf with, that that you sit sit next to on the sidelines or up in the stands, and, and you forge real relationships with them. I think the biggest obstacle that we run into as we try to live this out and fulfill the, the great commission in our own lives is having the room in our lives and having the room in our schedules to make room for others, to involve our lives and theirs. And there's this, this balancing act between what I refer to as this unstructured intentionality. It's, it's unstructured in the sense that I don't go into these relationships or these conversations with any preconceived notion or preconceived ideas about how it will go. I'm not trying to force the conversation to go anywhere, but, but it's intentional in the sense that I'm carving out some of my time and some of my schedule and making myself available to the relationship just to see where it goes, making sure that my life can intersect their life in a way that I actually get to know them. And I think part of what we need to be able to do is to become genuinely curious about people and we leverage those conversations and that time on the golf course or at the recital or, or on the back deck when, when you're grilling dinner together to engage in meaningful conversations with people, to, just to understand who they are and what, what has shaped them. And the, and the relationship usually begins around some kind of, of common hobby or interest. But then over time, if you continue to lean in it, those conversations will begin become more meaningful, become more significant. And maybe they'll open up about their marriage or a struggle in their life or a need in their life. And you invest in those relationships and then when it's appropriate, you invite them to come here on a Sunday morning or, or to tune in online and, and allow us to set up that next spiritual conversation with them so that you can begin to lean in that direction and lean that relationship in the direction of God, and there may be some people who someday you'll have the joy of seeing them walk through the waters of baptism. And, and you'll get this front row seat to see how God begins to change their life and transform their life because you were faithful. We need you to be bold in terms of, of your invita- invitation, not, not simply for the sake of the person that you're inviting, but so that we as a congregation and so that you individually can stay on task and can stay on mission with what God wants to do in you and through you. The the second area that we need to be bold in is to be bold in our serving, be bold in our serving. Every week, there are hundreds of people on a Sunday morning who understand that they are a part of welcoming people right where they are, wherever they are in their journey with God and allowing them to take a next step in his direction. Every week there are kids and there are adults who are coming in and they are looking for answers and they are looking for hope and our teams are a part of pointing people into a growing relationship with a loving and gracious God. It's why our guest services team sets the tone every Sunday morning, this welcoming, warm, safe place for people to come and explore their next faith step. It's why we have men and women on our Ridge Kids teams that that understand that they're not babysitting. What they are doing is setting the anchor of faith deep in the hearts of these young kids so that when they hit those crazy middle school years, that they won't drift too far. It's why we have these men and women who show up week in and week out and wired and fused and they earn the right to be heard. They establish these relationships with these middle schoolers and high schoolers so that when they inevitably hit those adolescent bumps, that they have another trusted adult in their lives that they can turn to and help get them back on path. If you are serving around here, you are on the front lines and know that God is using you to shape and to mold and to transform the lives of the people that call River Ridge home. And if you're not currently on a serving team, we need you to. We need you to step up, to be bold in serving, to join one of these teams so that when God opens up that door for another campus for us to launch, that we have teams of folks that are ready to serve. They're ready to to be launched out and to love the next community in the name of Jesus. I've said this over the years, um, but one of the primary goals that we have here on serving on Sunday morning is to train you and to prepare you to be a servant throughout your week we serve in here so that we are prepared to serve out there, that, that our hearts begin to change and we understand that we are walking through life as an opportunity to serve others and we find opportunities to serve the folks that you work with in your neighborhood, in your families, in our communities. You've heard it a couple of times already this morning, but starting tomorrow we have over 350 kids and their families are gonna gather at Valley Park And our hope is that during this week of big kick, that that as we begin to build these bridges through serving these families, that there may be some conversations that take place that God can use as a bridge to bring people closer to him. And, And here's what you'll find if you'll take this step to start boldly serving other people. When you step into those kinds of roles, God begins to change your heart as well. And you begin to see more clearly how God has gifted you with certain talents and certain experiences, the personalities that he has given you. And you begin to see how God is using those very things in your life to reach people for him. And for some, they begin to have a passion that they can't seem to shake. And and, and God begins to to chart a, a new path in their lives, a new direction for their lives. It's been amazing over the years to see several River Ridge families where this thing has happened. uh, And they begin to embrace this grander vision and this bigger purpose that God has for them and their family. And they begin to chase after this unique call that God puts in front of them. We've seen several River Ridge families over the years Change careers, sell everything, move overseas as missionaries. We, we've had families who, who felt this burden to reach middle school and high school athletes through FCA. Um, some of our dearest friends, Sarah and I's dearest friends, and longtime River Richers, Greg and Jennifer Clutter, are moving to Morgantown this weekend because they can't shake this burden and this passion to serve and to love kids and families in the foster care system. And so whether they, they've switched careers completely, they've sold everything and they're heading up north and they're gonna use their talents and their gifts and their experiences to help serve some of the most vulnerable in our state. It's a huge change for their family but when you sit around them and you hear the joy and you see the joy on their, in their faces and their lives because they know that they are right where God has positioned them to use all that he has done in their life to serve others. And it's because they've made themselves available to boldly serve wherever God has placed them. And now they're able to see that fulfilled in their life. So if you're not currently serving in some, some capacity, we need you and you need you to start boldly serving the people in front of you. And then lastly, be bold in our prayers. When we are gripped by this great commission, this mission that God has given us to be a part of, it changes our prayer life as well. So I wanna challenge us in a couple of areas specifically to be praying for. The first is, who are the people in your life right now that you think would never darken the door of a church? Those people that that in their own minds think that, that they are too far gone. I need you to pray for them. Pray bold prayers that God would begin to soften their heart and open up opportunities for you in their life. You may be the only person that is praying for them. You see, we have great news to share. And we have people in our lives to share with. It's good news that we have that is for all people. That There is no one who is too far off. There's no sin too great, no past too checkered, no mistake, too bad. We have good news to share with the people that God has put in our lives. The book of Acts reminds us that each of us has a role to play, that we can't pass it off to somebody else. Each of us has a role to play in passing off the gospel baton to someone, to many people in our lives. So who can you be actively praying for and then praying for God to use you somehow in their life? And then the the second way is, again, for us as a church, looking again at this map. um, I want you to pray for us in this next season that we have. Join us as we begin to ask God this crazy question. Okay, God, how, how can we be a part of expanding your kingdom, of chasing after your heart for this great region, for this great state that we all love? We have always felt... Like there was a a clear message for us that that we can't just hold on to what it is that, that God has done for us and through us. But somehow we need to be a part of multiplying that out into the areas around us. And that kind of takes us back to our roots again. Looking at how it is that we got here, we feel an obligation to continue to pass that along as we begin to look outside of our walls. As we look at the movement of God through our churches over these last 20 or so years, we're convinced that he's not done with us. We're convinced that God has a greater vision for our state and he wants us to be a part of that. Uh, There's a lot that we don't know about. We don't know exactly what that will look like, but one of the things that we feel God is directing us to is to what would it look like to plant other campuses, both here and throughout the state. We don't know whether that's gonna be east, west, north, or south, but we wanna be a part of forming these gatherings of believers to be able to, to reach into our surrounding communities. That's a huge undertaking, to say the least. It requires resources and time and people. But We feel like God is opening up some of these doors for us to be a part of it, and we're gonna trust and asked for that God would give us the kind of wisdom and the kind of discernment to know how it is that we navigate these waters, to be a part of his mission to reach this state. The book of Acts doesn't end because it's still being written. It, It ends in this cliffhanger of sorts because you and I are a part of writing the next chapter. The church expanded as ordinary men and women were gripped by the amazing grace of God. They were gripped by the power of the gospel and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' plan for reaching the world is still the same thing. Raise up ordinary men and women in the power of the Spirit and then send them out. Reaching, raising, sending out, reaching, raising, sending out. We are here today because that has been the pattern that the Holy Spirit has done through every generation. And it's the same pattern that he wants to do in our lives. He wants to raise up leaders, send them out so that we can reach the world for Christ. God wants to use you. He has filled you with the same Holy Spirit that began that early church. He has surrounded you with your mission field, with people, who are far from God and you have the news to share with them. You have one life. Make it count, be a part of God's mission to reach your neighbors and to reach the nations. As we finish up the series, we're gonna close with a song. And I wanna invite us to bow our heads. And if you would like to pray this bold prayer with me, Lord, I'm all yours, completely. I'll go where you tell me to go. I will do what you tell me to do. I surrender, Lord, and I'm listening. Here am I, Send me. I invite you to stand as we close this fantastic series and understand that we are the church, that we are called and we are sent out to, to reach our